Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really incredible guest. You know, I'm obviously a little bit biased because he's from Spain, from Madrid. And as you all know, you know, I'm from there. So obviously, very inspiring conversation that we have in front of us. We're going to be talking about bootstrapping, building profitable companies versus going crazy at raising money with growth. We're going to be talking about as well international expansion and how to think about it. Also, culture and team, how to think about mentoring your people versus just getting outsiders. And then lastly, reflection after an exit. Again, really amazing conversation that we have in front of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Pablo Fernandez Alvarez. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro, for having me on the show. It's a big pleasure to be sharing the, the learnings these years. So born in Spain, there in Madrid, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up, Pablo? It was great. So I am, I am the, the, the number two of uh, six uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, I've lived like in eight cities in, in Madrid. So my fathers were moving a lot. So I always had like this sense of adventures, of uh, taking risks uh, and following your, your passions with my, with my parents. And I, I studied international relations as mayor in the University of Madrid. Uh, I was trying to be an entrepreneur, but I failed a couple of times as a student. Uh, so I always have this entrepreneurial thing. And I started my career like in a very traditional path with uh, consulting at VCG in the Madrid office. Uh, then I moved to New York in investment banking, working for the largest Spanish banks and then there. Um, and then I, 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 I joined the, 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 the global strategy team and they appointed me the head of strategy of Santander at the U.S. in Boston, where I spent a few years. In the interim, I, 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 I did my graduate education at uh, Harvard Business School in Boston. Before, before that, Pablo, you know, it's, it's interesting what you mentioned here because, you know, obviously working in, in Spain, you know, versus working in the U.S. is a little bit different, you know, and, and, and I guess my question here is, what was the culture shock or what kind of worldview did it open for you being able to come to the U.S., seeing, you know, how things, the dynamics, how things operated here in, in the country? So how was that experience for you as well? Well, I remember the first day I arrived to, to New York and I felt the, the speed in the subway and people were moving much faster than, 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 than Madrid. Uh, but I was lucky. I was I, In Madrid, I was working for an American firm at BCD. We were working like 100 hours per week. So I have that that culture of hard working. But what I love about the U.S. is the, the, the this American dream. I, I live the American dream myself. Uh, many people in Spain, they don't believe this. In Spain, typically... If you are born poor, you don't uh, scale up, and people hesitate about. But in my case, I I I, I live the American dream, and I, I I for me the big cultural shock was that there was not hierarchy, there was not bureaucracy. It was everything about work, working hard, and, and meritocracy, and it really opened up my mind to to see other people that were thinking big. No? So it, it helped it helped me to to think bigger uh, than than in Spain. And you did work at BCG, as you alluded to it. You know, you were there for a couple of years. And one of the things that I see with the founders, you know, they have very similar backgrounds in the, in the sense that they either went to consulting, investment banking, private equity, or BC before they decided to pull the trigger on venturing into the unknown. Now, 
one of the things that I see from consulting is that it gives you the opportunity of being able to break down big problems into smaller problems and then tackling them. So what kind of framework would you say working at VCG gave you to tackle problems? Well, I guess that's kind of like a traditional answer, but for me, honestly, Alejandro, it's more about work ethics, right? I think, and I invest sometimes in consultants, but for me, it's, if you work at one of these places, I know that you can work uh, one, one, 100 hours per week in a few years, right? So working very hard, for me, it's very important. Uh, of course, being able to communicate, right? Uh, even if it's bullshit, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you need to sell, you need to convince people. So this, this, this first, they help you how to do PowerPoint, good decks, uh, good uh, presentations, how to convince others. And in my case, my co-founder work at BCG also. So it's a good uh, network uh, thing. So it, you really find like out of co-founders. I also invested in other people at BCG that were very investments where I multiplied by 100 my investments, like uh, Sergio Furio at Creditas that were with me at BCG or Pau Sabri at Olapic. I was investor in them. So it's for me, it's, it's, it's network, it's work ethics. It's also uh, communication, communication skills. And also in my case, uh, it helped me. You, uh, it, it also helps you to go to business schools. Uh, so traditionally in Spain, uh, many people that want to go to top business schools in the U.S. Uh, going to consulting uh, help. So the MBA at Harvard, you know, came at the time. The idea of doing it came at the time where you were at Santander, uh, and in Santander you held uh, several roles. You know, whether it was in Boston or you know the different offices that they had. Now. Why did you decide to shift gears and to say, hey, you know, I think it's time for me to maybe take a pause, you know, really uh, go and study and especially doing an MBA? What, what, what was the trigger for that? Yeah. So I remember it was a, a, a professor at Harvard, Tom DeLong. I, I remember one day he told me like, okay, what do you have to do? You, you are not married. You don't have a mortgage. Uh, worst case scenario is that you start something and then if it doesn't work, you can always go to do bullshit PowerPoint and get paid uh, 200K per year. So that was like a wake up call and says, okay, oh, he's right. Uh, in the meaning, like uh, I have nothing to lose. And then it was the, 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 the regret that I will have in my life. No? So I was in a moment in which, okay, no liabilities uh, down with experience. And I said, if I don't do this now, uh, when I am 80 years old and laying in my bed and thinking about my life, I will regret not having started the company. So I remember that was, uh, that, um, but I delayed it a little bit because after the MBA, I, they offered me to be head of a strategy of Santander in the US. So obviously I was making a lot of money and progressing. I was part of the board of directors and, and the executive committee of a 30,000 company, 30,000 people company. So it, it, it cost me a lot. So I, de I, I deferred entrepreneurship until I was 34 years old. Uh, but at that point, uh, I really took the decision uh, to, to, to quit. And it was the inspiration of uh, some of my fellow uh, uh, people at Santander BCG that were starting their companies. And they inspired me to, 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 to take, you know, to, to leave my job and start ClickCars. What, what was that day like when you finally decided to take action, to give your notice and to, uh, uh, so and was, to just uh, jump off the cliff? Uh, so it was uh, October 15, 2015. So I always remember that day. And uh, the good thing is that when I told this to my boss, my boss was the, 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 the CEO and president of Santander in the US, he said to me, okay, I will invest half a million in you. 
Okay, so they was like, wow, uh, I'm quitting my job, and, and my boss was investing in me. And um, many of my bosses, uh, I they invested in me. So I, I that that was very reassuring that uh, the people that know me were were trusting to my new venture. So how did the um, how were the early days of ClickCars like? So I I, I left <laughs> Santander on uh, October 2015, and I I remember, I remember arriving to Madrid, and the funny thing was like. I went to the notary to start the company, and then I wanted to to print the deck to talk to some in, uh, early investors. And then uh, the the print the, the print place was closed, and it says uh, we come back. Uh, and I said like, okay, I was like, I had like a very cultural shock in coming back to Spain because I was used to the American speed, the mindset of everything, and you know, people here they close the store because they go, they go to have lunch. What the fuck? So I was kind of like, uh, oh shit, uh, maybe I should have stayed in the US. But the opportunity was in Spain. So we saw uh, when I was at Santander, Santander is the largest car financing bank in the world. And, and I knew a lot about car financing. So I, 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 I saw Carvana and other players uh, starting to sell cars online. Um, with, uh, with, with my co-founder, we identified an opportunity to create an online uh, used car uh, e-commerce site. <clears throat> so we, we started uh, and since day one, I mean, we were very lucky to find product market fit very quick. So we, we started buying and selling cars uh, online. We started in a little garage in Madrid that we're, we're paying 700 euros per month because it was the cheapest uh, place in, in Madrid for seven euros a square meter. I was, it was a very crappy place, but we were very happy. Uh, and I remember, so we started in November and in January 1st, we sold the first car. It was a, a polo, a, a white polo. I was with my family, you know, in Spain on January 1st. And the customer calls me and I go right away to meet the customers. And so it was like a very nice experience knowing that we only made 400 euros with these cars. But on the first year, we make uh, 5 million euros. Uh, on the second year, we made 14. On the third year, 30. And then we went to 64, 250 and 500. So it was like a journey from zero to 500 million in, re in revenues uh in in six years so it was quite a journey but the most interesting thing is it were always profitable so we're always uh ebda positive and that helped us to to raise very little money we only raised a million uh as a seed round and then we raised uh, four million with a series a uh in the first year but then since year one to year six the final exit we didn't raise any money we raised that because we we're profitable and we could get that from banks from the car for car inventory but uh that was the big the big learning you know that it's possible to grow very fast while being profitable and minimizing the illusion because when we sold the company we my co-founder and i we own 70 percent of the business so that's an advice i always give to founders that it's possible to hyper grow without deluding yourself now what what would you say that uh, fueled that uh, school of thought because obviously at that point, I'm sure that now things have changed, obviously, with the macro environment on, on, on thinking about growth versus profit. But I'm pretty sure that those were the days, too, where it was growth above everything else. And when you have those numbers and that level of growth on the revenue side, you have VCs that are literally throwing money at you. So what do you think caused you guys to wanting to be laser focused and to not take more money from outsiders? So. One thing is being being cheap. So I mean, we we we, we took the cheapest offices in in Madrid. Uh, we my my co-founder and I we didn't have salary until the exit. 
uh, even the travels we pay by ourselves. I mean, we, I think it's very important to make sure that every euro counts, that you have that, that culture, right? Because it's very difficult to change the culture. So you have a profitable mindset. It's very important to have this from day one. Then going from hyper growth and losses to profitability is super hard. It's, it's very, so that's the first thing is culture that every count, every euro and every dollar matters since day one. Uh, and the other thing is about having control in your company. Uh, because I, I was seed investor before being an entrepreneur and I've seen many entrepreneurs raising like a lot of money. And then one day they wake up uh, only, is the, only less than 10% of the company and being in a room surrounded by 10 guys who are head of VCs, but they are not operators, entrepreneurs, they don't understand the business and you lose control of your company, right? So we didn't want to lose control of our company. You want to, we wanted to control our destiny. And we decided that uh, being profitable was the way to go to guarantee that independence. Uh, that it also gives you like a dual path optionality. If you start the VC, you get into a trap of racing, racing, and then someone buying you. But when you are generating cash flow, you have a lot of optionality. You could keep the business for long term. You could go private equity. Uh, you could go uh, get uh, debt financing. Uh, so you have more options and you control your, your, your freedom. So the company, you guys ended up uh, selling it for a reported amount of 100 million plus, uh, which is absolutely incredible. First company, first uh, exit and also a, a big exit. So make us insiders, you know, here, you know, what drove that decision to get acquired? Because, because I mean, you guys were doing great, incredible revenue. I mean, why, wh at what point were you guys like, okay, I think it's time to go after this acquisition? Exactly. So, so when we got the, the offer, we, we checked with our friends, entrepreneurs, uh, what to do, right? Uh, because, um, and I think the rationale was, look, this is our first company and this is a, a life-changing event for us financially and reputationally. So of course we, we, we could keep the company growing and maybe bring it to a billion dollar valuation. But, uh, for us was like, look, uh, you never know when we're going to have an, an offer. So it, it was good enough for us to, and in my case, I have other ideas to keep grow, to, to keep starting other companies. So I said, look, with my co-founders, we decided let's, let's accept, let's sell this company. And then, uh, with the money, we can create more companies. We can be financially secure. Uh, and that's what I give the advice to many founders. Like, uh, the first exit is very important. And, and, and particularly in Spain, I mean, right now in Spain, we have like a 13 unicorns, but at that time there was no unicorns. It was not in Spain getting like a hundred million offer in cash at that moment. It's not something normal. So, uh, we decided to accept, uh, hopefully because then most of our competitors, uh, were looking at Kazoo, uh, Kava, all these guys were worth like 8 billion and, and, and uh, but now some of them are bankrupt or disappeared, no? So you never know, right, uh, about it. But we decided to accept uh, and then uh, move on. What kind of reflections do you typically do when you go through an exit, you know, through a life-changing event, you know, especially when it comes to the financial side? Because this gives you, you know, without a doubt, financial freedom. As you were saying, you guys owned 70% of the business, the co-founders. So what kind of reflections, you know, and thought process do you give to yourself and to what could be the next chapter when you go through a, 
you know, changing event like that. Yeah. So in our case, I am, I'm happy. We're happy to be part of a, of Endeavor. It's an organization with 2,500 entrepreneurs globally, and I am a member of the board in Spain. So we talk to many entrepreneurs who have sold their businesses for life. And everybody was telling us the same, like, uh, okay, uh, you have a unique opportunity to, to think about what's next. Uh, it was funny. Some told me, I mean, don't, don't don't change your card or change your wife. Uh, and the other thing like, well, don't, uh, was wife, uh, car and house, no, or something like this. No. So like, uh, don't become crazy, like, uh, reflect about, uh, uh, about it financially. But the most important thing is like, sometimes when you are, uh, uh, an entrepreneur, you're always like not having time to think, right. You are just executing, uh, towards the exit or towards the mandate from your, from your investors. But this is a moment in your life. This is like, hey, look, uh, in, in my case, for example, I, I have like a pressure to keep delivering. Like uh, I've always been uh, uh, trying to have success professionally and everybody was asking me, okay, what's next, Pablo? What's the next startup? And I was feeling like a lot of pressure. And one founder told me, look, don't be pressured. Yes, it's okay not to, to do nothing. It's okay to reflect. It's okay to... So I, what I learned is that the most important is not what, what you do, after the exit, but do the things for the right reasons, right? Do the things because you like it, because you want to do it. So you earn the right to do what you want, not what others people want, not the, what the investors or the VCs. So obviously the VCs were telling me, okay, Pablo, thank you for the returns. Uh, here you have like, a, uh, you want 10 million, you want 10 million, uh, let's go to the next one. No? So I was feeling like a lot of pressure on that one, but I, I, I decided not to get that pressure. And then, okay, whatever I do, I do it because I want to do it and not because other people tell me, right? So as the saying goes, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. <laughs> and the next one, you know, the next opportunity that came knocking, you know, for you was Clicalia. So why did you think that the model of Clicalia was meaningful enough, you know, for you to take action, you know, on this opportunity? Yeah, well, it was uh, Clicalia. It was uh, funded by my best friend, Alistair, uh, and I, uh, right after we, we sold uh, Clicars. And the funny story is like, uh, uh, Alistair was supposed to be a founder in Clicars, but uh, we didn't convince him at that time. But when we sold the company, he said, okay, now it's time for you to to leave uh, Santander Bank and, 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 and start the company. Uh, so for me, it was like doing this with my best friend, and with all their earnings that they have from the first experience, right? And and the the thing was like, okay, let's dream bigger. Like in our first business, uh, we we sell for 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 that amount, uh, but because it was like the first business. But that one, we said, look, let's do something super big. Let's not settle. Let's not have an exit horizon. This is going to be something super big, and we are going to enjoy it. Uh, we both love real estate, and in that. Uh, we decided to start Clicalia, that is a, a, a real estate a transactional where we uh, are selling around 1,600 houses per year, 140 million in revenues in four countries with 1,500 people. And in that case, uh, so we started with our uh, own money, the first million, but then uh, buying houses was um, a little bit more expensive than buying uh, uh, cars. So we raised a series A of 12, a series B of 60, and a series C of 100 million, and then uh, a 400 million debt financing. So 600 million in total in capital, 200 in equities, uh, 400 in debt. Uh, but 
with the investors that we like it, that we want, and with the right space. And we decided to to run the company with our own culture, with this. That. So I, I I think when you are like a second time entrepreneur, I think you you feel like a more. It's not more relaxed because you're always working, but you feel like more that 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 you are doing things for the right for the right uh, reasons. No, so we we felt like in this one, uh, Alistair also was a big, big investor in Clicar, so he make also like a lot of money. So we were like, look, we're going, we're doing this because it's uh it's what we want to do, and uh, we're onboarding investors, but investors that will be happy to. To see in the board meetings and we'll be happy to have dinner with them. Uh, sometimes that's the problem, no? When you pick up co-founders or team members or investors that you don't like, you're fucked, no? Because you, you are going to <laughs> to see them every single morning. And and we decided, look, if, if we are going to do this, we don't need the money. We're doing this for fun and because of our ambitions and because we want to create something big. Let's do it with the people that we that we that that we like to see every day. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And talking about people, you know, I know how when it comes to culture and team, you know, one of the things that they, that you are a big fan of is really mentoring and, and coaching folks as opposed to hiring outsiders. Uh, so walk us through this, like what are some of the key essence or key ingredients for having that mentorship and that coaching and developing people internally, you know, become a successful uh, initiative? Yeah. Well, first I have to say, um, there's, there's no secret and you just learn by mistakes and 50% of the hires that the people that you want, they're going to promote, it fails, right? But but for, for me, for Alistair and I, was has been very important, both in Clickars and Clickalia, was to, to say, look, let's let's identify the people that have the right values, the right culture. Uh, and also, if you want to be a BDA positive, you cannot pay uh, super executive salaries, right? So you have to, to pay uh, smaller salaries. So we decided to to hire people that were a little bit younger and less experienced, but we, we held them to growth. Uh, of course, at the end, when 
like around 50% of the executives we hire, 50% of the executives we promote. Because it, it, it's impossible to promote uh, all the people. Uh, but we saw many mistakes in many startups that were hiring like the superstars coming from Google, from Uber, with uh, six-figure salaries, a crazy amount. And these people didn't came with the right culture, right? Uh, and culture is very important in your executives. No? So um, I think that's something that uh, that I'm very proud. For example, in ClickCars, even a few years after the exit, uh, the CEO uh, is, the, is the one that we put there. All the executive management team, they remain there. They're the same people with the same culture. So I think that's important. Sometimes the speed of the business doesn't allow to be, people don't grow as fast as the business and you need to hire. Uh, but when you hire, look at culture. And for us, culture was like uh, humility, uh, thinking about profitable mindset um, and, and, and have the ability. But having said that, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, uh, and whenever you make a mistake, you have to be fast, right? Uh, in firing the, 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 the executive that doesn't work, right? Uh, or that doesn't have the right culture. And how have you done it too, Pablo? Um... You know, of being part of, of, you know, in this case, you know, we're now on the second company, you know, two fantastic success stories. But for you also to grow at the same speed as the company, how did you go about that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's very important. So uh, in the first company, I was, I was the CEO. Uh, in the second company with Alistair, we decided that she was going to be the CEO. I was president, more helping uh, him on the, on the on managing the board, the investors, the, on the, on the, uh, and the learnings from from Clicar. So I think what's important is is deciding what uh, what's your role, no? And sometimes you need to 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 uh, to stop being CEO or to jump into a, a, another type of roles. And at the end, the most important thing is what's best for the business. So the other thing is uh, scaling up yourself. So uh, you could be like a good CEO of. Uh, 50 people company, but when it was to 1,000, maybe you are not good. So uh, for me, what works is like uh, talking to other entrepreneurs that have been there before. For example, in our cap table at Clicalia, we have a Guillaume Posad that is the founder and CEO of a Checkout, right? Uh, big success. And, uh, or people like Sergio Furio, the founder of Credita. So we're calling, okay, how is about uh, raising a series C of 100 million? How is about uh, talking to SoftBank? How is about uh, hiring 1,000 people? Um, um, I think it's, it's, it's amazing to be surrounded yourself with seasoned entrepreneurs that have been there before, and they can tell you your, uh, whenever you have a problem, you can pick up the phone and call them, and they are going to tell what they did, what they learned, uh, and that's the other thing I would say is uh, uh, being very honest with your co-founder, uh, talking about your your weakness, your gaps, things that uh, that you don't know how to do it, um, um, and and also understanding what you like or you don't like. Uh, uh, there, for example, in my case, I, I love bringing a company from maybe zero to hundred million, but then when you have like hundred million in revenues or five hundred people, one thousand. For me, it becomes more like a corporate a corporation, and I, I I miss that real. So you need to know how good you are, but also what you like or you don't like, and, and be honest about it to take measures like putting another CEO or or moving on to another project. So talking about moving on to another project, a year ago you decided to turn page. What happened? 
Yes, no, so I I I was missing the energy of day one, no, uh, and that one. And with the experience that I have with Clicar selling cars, I and my experience in Santander financing cars, I I I decided to start my third company. It's a Clear Drive. It's a car financing platform where people that own a car can get a, a credit line with their with their car. So it's a brokerage marketplace with banks and, and car owners where car owners can get money for that. So I I have this idea, but on this this third time I decided to do it differently. I said, look, this time I really want to own 100 percent of the business, right? Because um, in both co- previous companies uh, we raise money and we have outside investors, and I always felt like a pleasure of I'm I'm managing other people's money. So it's not my company, it's not my money. But in this one, I wanted to really have a sense of ownership. So in this case, uh, what uh, what I did is like uh, I bootstrapped the company. I put a few million euros from my own money. And so far, it's been one year. It went from zero to 100 million revenues, positive EBITDA. Not a lot of people, like I have like 50 people. But uh, thinking about long term, right? So I was thinking... Uh, how can I create a business that can be like a, a billion dollar business, but in which I own 100% of the business in 10 years, right? Maybe not in five years, but without raising money. And that's that's the challenge. And I don't have pressure of managing other people's money. So I don't have banking debt. Uh, and for me, that gives me like a lot of freedom and flexibility and a peace of mind to, to, to run a business as you like. Now, in parallel, you're also doing Clip Brain. So, uh, you know, you decided not to go at it once, but at twice at the same time, you know, as the next chapter. Exactly. That was a mistake. I, I, I joke with many entrepreneurs that I decided to have twins voluntarily. No? So, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't done it. I, 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 I would have never done it again if I could come back because, I mean, one of the problems when you start business is that I am optimistic, so so you forget about the pain of starting the business, right? So uh, and it never gets easier. Like you, you, it's like you think, oh, it's the, it's the third time it's going to be easier. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's more difficult. Maybe you have more relaxed financially, or you know you have more know-how, but it's always very difficult. But but I was over optimistic, and I said, okay, I'm going to start uh, the, the fourth business. So the uh, brain is an artificial intelligence company helping companies to to turn the un- unstructured data into uh, ready-to-use data for, for being used with the public uh, 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 LLMs. And, and it's a very small company. We're only eight people. I'm just, the, uh, I put uh, $2 million of my money in this company and I am the majority shareholders and I and with uh, my, the rest of the co-founders and the team, I gave them like a lot of equity. Uh, and we are bootstrapping the company, still not external funding. Uh, but in this case, I am not uh, operational. I am. I don't have an executive role. I just put the money and and, and gather the team. Uh, and it was also for me to to get insight of an, an exciting industry, artificial intelligence that it helped me also with Icalia or with my investment strategy. Uh, but I think that the big lesson is that serial entrepreneurs we always underestimate that pain and effort that takes starting a business from scratch, right? Now, talking about underestimating the pain and effort, you know, for the people that are listening, you have uh, quite a, an amazing hobby, and that is uh, swimming in the open seas. So what is this? Uh, tell us about this, because you have uh, several records there that, uh, that you've been able to break. 
And how have you been able to adapt, you know, that experience or that those learnings from that into the world of entrepreneurship and the pain that you go through as an entrepreneur as well? Yeah. So, well, the story is um, my father was a professional soccer player, so I have a good genetics. And uh, but when I was seven years old, I have an injury in my knees, and the doctors told me during one year you can only swim, you cannot do anything else. I was like super unhappy. But then I went to the pool and they discovered that I was very qualified. So I, I was very competitive in long distance swimmer, swimming. Um, and I started to, to do all the crossings around the world, like um, the Strait of Gibraltar, Manhattan Island, uh, English Channel, I mean, all these channels. And then uh, at some point I decided to go further. Uh, so I became uh, the, the fastest person to swim 100 kilometers in the ocean. I did the fastest uh, uh, distance in the longest distance in 24 hours, both in the ocean, in a swimming pool, 36 hours non-continuous continue swimming in a pool. And then my, my biggest record, that is the longest distance in the ocean, 250 kilometers from Miami Beach to Cape Canaveral in 2021. And the funny thing is that I, I was doing these records while I was uh, building uh, Clicars and, and Clicalia. And uh, the funniest thing is like, uh, I. I couldn't go to the to the pool, so I I put the pool in the company. So I installed a, a, a countercurrent pool in the in the cars factory. So all the mechanics were working on the cars in the factory, and it was like a swimming at six a.m. in the morning. But for me, um, it, it being be, being a competitive athlete, it helped me to be a competitive entrepreneur because I I always think it's important as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you are overwhelmed with work, and and you don't exercise, don't eat well, and you have burnout. So in my case, a, a sport gave me like a way to escape from my stress entrepreneurial life and, and, and thinking about that. Obviously, the trick is I, I, I am not married. I don't have kids. So I, I only was focused on, I, I was waking up every day at 5.15, I going to the pool from 6 to 9, and then working at the cars and Picalia uh, until late. Uh, so it was very disciplined, but uh, it really helped me to have this discipline mindset to that. And the funny thing is that I implemented the analytical mindset to swimming. So I I I put like cameras into the into the pool, and I was using a visualization to improve my stroke uh, with analytics. I was very very uh, I put a lot of effort on that. But mindset my, mindset, Pablo, you know, is a is something that uh, that you were alluding to earlier that um, that I think is key uh, because you were talking about doing a hundred kilometers, swimming nonstop for thirty six hours. You know, your mind. You know, I'm sure that in many instances there was telling you to give up. You know, you probably started hearing the voices of, "Hey, you know, I'm tired. I'm not feeling good," or "This happened." You know, I maybe I give up. How do you how do you deal with those voices? And, and especially like, how did were you able to shift you know that way of of dealing with those voices and with your mindset as maybe you're dealing with like challenging events with the business where maybe you're running out of money or maybe you know like there's uh someone quitting or whatever fire that you have to deal with where you're also having those voices and questioning yourself yeah so obviously we all have these voices and these question marks both in the business and the sport life i remember in this the 250 kilometers at night i was attacked by many jellyfish uh, I saw like a gray that it looks like a shark and I was cold and I was like, what the fuck I'm doing here in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> risking my life. Um, and, but then 
for me, what works is like, okay, don't think, uh, dream big, but think as, and act small. Meaning, okay, put a big dream, but if you are in the middle of the ocean, don't think about the uh, 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 600 strokes that I have to give that day. I mean, think about one stroke at a time. Okay. Uh, I can do like, I was counting strokes. Like I can do like, uh, 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 I can do like a hundred strokes. Okay. Then another hundred. I can go to the next meal cycle in one hour. I can wait until the sun rise. So divide the big problems into a small milestones, right? Even when you are like in a, in, in, in a company, like when, when we raise our series A, uh, uh for example, I, we're looking at some, some I mean, some, sometimes when you have like issues in the company, break down the problems into a small uh, problems. Like, okay, think about the next day, think about the next meeting, think about the next client. Um, and, and that was really helped me, you know, dream big, but think and act uh, small. And then at, at some moment you stop, you look at the watch, it's like, oh shit, 36 hours, 150 kilometers, what just happened? And, and, and something that my family, they, they gave me some values of not believing, I mean, knowing that what you do is not because of you, it's because you are lucky or, or because uh, the people around you uh, help you. So uh, not believing that your success is because of you, but just just focus on what you can control. That is one stroke at a time, one client at a time, uh, uh, one, one day uh, uh, thinking about the day, and that's it. I want to put you into a time machine, Pablo, and I, brought, I want to bring you into the, into the past. Okay, I'm bringing you into a time machine now, bringing you back in time, I'm bringing you back in time to perhaps, you know, that moment where you were still, you know, at Santander, you know, maybe like in 2000, 2015, right? Let's say I bring you back to that moment where you're now thinking about giving your notice. You're thinking about venturing into the unknown, jumping off the cliff, not knowing what you have in front of you. Let's say you're able to stop that younger Pablo on the tracks, that younger Pablo that is coming out of the Santander office, ready to become an entrepreneur. And you're able to sit down that younger Pablo, right there on the spot, and being able to give that younger Pablo one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Okay, so I would tell them, don't rush, be patient. I mean, building a business is not about creating a unicorn in three years. I mean, it takes probably 10 to 15 years to create like a great business, so be patient. Second, if possible, do not raise money. Keep 100% of the business or, or at least a, lot, a big percentage of the business and, and try to focus on clients, uh, even if you grow a little bit less at the beginning, but try to, to, to not, not focus on, on funding, but focus on customers, no? Uh, make your customers your venture capital and your, and your capital provider. No? Uh, and, and, and third, it's like, don't take things so easy. Let me, uh, at the beginning, everything is like a fire, right? Everything is like, a, and, and you are super stressed. So, so, Try to, 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 to be happy managing problems and managing stress and enjoy your life because as an entrepreneur, all your life is going to be ups and downs, super stress. So enjoy the journey because you never know the outcome. It depends like a lot of things, uh, your co-founder, product market risk, dynamics, financing, economics, whatever, competition. So you don't control the outcome that everybody wants. It is great a very valuable company, but at least enjoy the journey. And enjoying the journey is like, Relax, don't take things so seriously, uh, and just focus on doing the right things at the, at the, at, uh, 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 every day and have a patience, long time horizon, 
uh, and look at the cash flow. Don't mislead yourselves with vanity KPIs. And at the end of the day, cash flow is, uh, is, is, is key and making sure that cash flow and customer satisfaction are, are the two things that you should focus on. I love it. So, Pablo, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Well, you can reach me out in LinkedIn or through my email, pablo at pablofernandez.com. If you want to invest, I have invested in more than 100 startups. I, I love to, to share, to, to share uh, uh, ideas. Uh, so happy to, to connect uh, in social networks. And, and thank you for having me at Hunter. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today, Pablo. It has been, without a doubt, an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.